Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. This is a very special weekend, a very special several upcoming weeks as we look at this Holy Advent when, when everything that Jesus and the Father had planned and orchestrated to liberate mankind, to liberate the world, was set in motion. I love Christmas, right? I love celebrating baby Jesus. But we all understand that he grew up, amen? And it wasn't a baby that entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday. And it wasn't a baby that walked the Via Dolorosa, the pathway to the cross. It wasn't a baby that was crucified. And it wasn't a baby that was resurrected victorious over sin, death, and the grave. It was Jesus, the man, son of man, yet son of God. And so my favorite time of the year is when God just put the capstone on everything he was building. Hallelujah. Jesus lives. How many believe that? So today, I, I just, you're going to get like a, a, a lower rev, Pastor Craig, and uh, but, it, but it's good. I think it'll probably give us a teaching mode. I'm a preacher and a teacher, and I love the Word of God passionately with all my heart. This is what set me free. And so uh, let's take a journey together. Are you ready for a journey? Are you ready just to allow God to make that event that happened and, and really what stood behind it and what the Lord was saying to generations even yet to come? Let's take that journey. So Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We know you're already here. You inhabit the praise of your people. But now I ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would just rest on all of us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Strengthen my body that I would speak with clarity, with anointing. May every word be deliberate. In Jesus' name, amen. Palm Sunday. The day when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. As long as all of us have had the breath of life, every year that we have lived commemorating that time and that event, we have some worshipped, celebrated, some maybe looked and observed from a distance, but we have witnessed during our lifetimes, however long or short they are, that event year after year after year. So here Jesus, prior to his crucifixion, Prior to his death, he enters Jerusalem. And it was a significant day because it was the day that would set in motion God's plan of redemption. Without that entrance into Jerusalem, without that betrayal, without that crucifixion, there would be no church. There would be no hope. There would be no salvation. So that was the day God's plan for redemption was set in motion. Now, it's important to understand that the Jews had been waiting centuries for the next David to come and make himself manifest. They understood from their time in the, in the temple, the time in the synagogues, the teachings of the rabbis and the other religious leaders. They understood that someone from the lineage of David would one day come and restore the greatness of Israel, Jerusalem. But sometimes when you only have a word or a few sentences rather than the entire story, 
It's easy to place our own twist on things, our own interpretation, developing our own perceptions and even our own expectations. So they expected this to happen, but sometimes if we're not careful, when we only have a part of the knowledge, our expectations can become our greatest enemy. They had been waiting for centuries, a king who would liberate and reestablish Israel. They were waiting for what? The arrival, the title of my message, for Messiah, a king, a warrior. You'll find they wanted this individual that finally would bring an end to centuries and even millenniums of injustice, slavery, abandonment, seeing their city destroyed and captured by opposing enemies and armies and then restored again, and then destroyed and restored again. They wanted that long-term, that everlasting place where they could worship Yahweh, God Jehovah, as they called him under the old covenant. And so when you look at this whole aspect of waiting, at some point in time and place in our lives, we're all waiting for something, aren't we? Right? Someone maybe today here in this audience or watching online, waiting to meet that Mr. or Mrs. Wright, that husband, that wife that you'll spend the rest of your life, the rest of your days, the rest of your lives with. Others are waiting on possibly the results of a medical test. I just had one the other day, and everything came back incredible. God is faithful. Those of you who know my story can rejoice with me. But in the process of waiting, it can be tension-filled, right? Then there's others who are waiting for that answer to prayer. Maybe you're praying over your marriage. You're praying over a son or a daughter, a father, a mother, a circumstance. Whatever it is, there are many things that fill our days and nights with prayer requests. And, and some, as they come to pass, we rejoice. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. But then those ones that we're still waiting on, we, we, we remain persistent and just continue to storm the gates of hell, believing for that breakthrough, for that provision in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, on Palm Sunday... The Jewish people, they celebrated because what they had been waiting on for so long now was entering the city of Jerusalem, that long-awaited king. To set the background, to understand, let's take a look in the Old Testament. Because when this came to pass, when this prophecy was fulfilled, it's actually found in the Old Testament when Zechariah the prophet wrote in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Let's never become lax in being familiar with the Word of God. Amen? We also have it on the back screen for some of you taking notes, but the Word of the Lord reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did you know this portion of scripture was written 500 plus years before this event ever took place? The Roman Empire wasn't in existence yet. But yet the Spirit of God came on the prophet Zechariah. And prophesied 500 plus, about 530 years to be exact, prior to any of this transpiring, in detail, this was written. Now, how could anyone predict like that? And then how could anyone else, over five centuries later, be able to take and orchestrate 
Not only this, but every other aspect of the life of Christ in fulfilling prophecy. Humanly, that's impossible. But we know with God, what? Say it. All things are possible. Amen. We love you, Lord. Just thought I'd take a break. Praise God. These words, again, written five centuries prior. So as we examine the fulfillment of this scripture, this prophecy, let's begin by looking at my first point. Write it down on the back of your bulletins. The prophecy. Now I'm going to read you a quote that historians made in one of my commentaries. Historians state this. It was, the cus- it was customary at that time to wave palm branches, which symbolized independence and liberation. It was a custom of the people. It was also tradition to welcome leaders and rulers in this fashion as they entered a city. The interesting point is this. A ruler or military leader would have come riding on a horse. Why? Because a military leader returns victorious, thrown and sitting upon a horse as he enters the city after a great victory. I continue now. But Jesus, he came riding on a donkey, which symbolized peace and humility. Now, when you look at this, people didn't know all of the background. They didn't know all of the symbolism that that was a part of what Jesus was fulfilling. So you can understand when people are used to one method of entrance, entrance from a king, they associated, even though Jesus was on this donkey, they didn't perceive, they didn't notice that there was something different about his triumphal entry. And so that's why at times it's easy to confuse things and get ahead of the Lord until He shows us, brings revelation to us, and we see the fulfillment. If you look in Scripture, you'll find John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, records the fulfillment of this prophecy in Zechariah. I read, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So again, we see in the scripture, they were looking for a king. They didn't say Messiah. They said, the king has come. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Zechariah had given. However, because of the perception of the people, it would eventually have an adverse effect on their faith. And that's what misperception can do. It can cause us to misread, to misinterpret. And then when it doesn't make sense, that's when we get angry at other people or some even get angry at the Lord himself saying, God, you know, what are you doing? You know, this is not what's supposed to happen. Now, I know none of you have ever prayed or thought that before. It's all of those who came in the first service, right? I'm just jesting. But at times we're all hit with that. What's going on, Lord? What's happening? And we allow our perceptions to create expectations. I think one of the greatest adversaries to our faith that Satan uses is expectations. Now, it's one thing to have a confident expectation of faith. It's another to build an expectation based upon our perception. And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are the two that help us sort that out. Amen? Amen? Perception, listen to this. God gave this to me last night. 
I was laying in bed. I love when the Lord just shows up unannounced. How many of you enjoy that as well? He spoke this to me. I added it to my sermon notes. He said this, perception can be a faith maker or a faith breaker. Now, I'm sure someone else has said it because the Holy Spirit never wastes his word just on one person. He gives his word to all, amen? But it was new for me. And how true is that? That perception can be a faith maker or a faith breaker. In regards to uh, perception, I came across a really cute poem. I want to read it to you. It's humorous. I think you'll enjoy it. It's very short. Bear with me. My face in the mirror isn't wrinkled or drawn. My house isn't dirty. The cobwebs are gone. My garden looks lovely, and so does my lawn. I think I may never put my glasses back on. (laughs) Perception. Sometimes what you think you see, you don't see. It's like turning up the lights. You can begin to see things more clearly. Amen? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people, because the king had come to fulfill their expectations, to liberate them from tyranny, to reestablish their city, to reestablish their nation. When Jesus entered, they saw a king and were ready to fight. In fact, if you look at the life of Judas, historians bring out that he was a zealot. He was an individual with a group of many, many others who had a conquest to reestablish again, as many of the Jews desired to see the greatness of Israel again under The promised king, the lineage of King David would be another king that God would provide. And so Judas, you know, a lot that contributed towards his fall were his perceptions and expectations. And and so his desire to see the tyranny come to an end of the Roman Empire and, and Israel and the glory of God be restored to Israel. You know, he was also one of the individuals that thought that the restoration, the fulfillment of the scriptures would, would, would take and come to pass through a military conquest, a military battle or engagement. And as he began to see things not going in the, that direction, that's what contributed towards his disappointment, his anger, and even eventually his betrayal and death. So perception is a powerful, powerful dynamic. And so the people of the city were no different than him. They wanted the greatness of Israel restored. And that's what caused them to misinterpret the prophecy. You know, and and that's an important thing. How many of you believe that God still speaks not only through his word prophetically, but spiritually prophetically to our lives when we need direction, assistance, and and we need wisdom? He does. But sometimes the danger that we can fall snare to is if we take something that we hear and we get ahead of God. In fact, I have found some of the most uh, instrumental prophetic words over my life throughout my ministry and my life since I came to Jesus. I didn't know what they meant until God brought them to pass. And there I can tell you early on in my faith there were times I got ahead of God and sort of tried to help him out. Now, have you, any of you ever tried to help the Lord out when it comes to answer to prayer? and See, this is, this is God. This is the fulfillment right here. This is it, Right? And then only to find out you hit a dead-end street. I have found like Mary, when God speaks something that's prophetic to your life, hide it in your heart. 
In fact, many times when God gives a word to us, it's to encourage us because there may be a fight to fight until that comes to pass. And the Lord, he knows exactly what we need for every season of life. So here you have all of this transpiring and the people are excited, they're praising, but they were misdirected with their praise. And it was this perception that led them to the second point, write it down, to praise, to praise. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people, they saw a king, but guess what? God the Father saw a lamb. Two kings, but for two different purposes. Still praise, but yet with one agenda misdirected, and for those who just worshiped because they loved him, directed to God. Look again at John chapter 12, verse 13. This is important. Scripture reads, it says, They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, speaking of Jesus, and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Again, you've got to go back in time and put yourself in their shoes. This was the moment they had been waiting for. God's promise to David was being fulfilled. It was an exciting time. The glory of Israel would now be restored Messiah had come. The entire city, Scripture brings out, was moved. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 10, interesting word in here I want to bring your attention to. Scripture reads, and when he had come into Jerusalem, this is Matthew's account of the triumphal entry. It says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was what? Moved. Saying, who is this? Now think about that. That means a lot of people who were caught up in that moment of praise didn't know why they were praising. Have you ever been to an event or a gathering? Uh, maybe even a sporting event. Some of you may say, I'm not real big into sports. But you attend an event, and that sporting event becomes very exciting. And then all of a sudden, there's this great comeback that's taking place. By the way, I don't know if you can tell, but I do love sports. And, and so this great comeback is underway, and finally... A sport you don't even enjoy, but you're there because a buddy of you invited you or girlfriend invited you, whatever, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, when everybody stands and that extra point is made or a home run is hit, the whole stadium just erupts and shouts and begins to cheer, clap their hands and stands up. And you, not even being a sporting fan, you stand up too, begin to cheer. Not because you're a fan, right? But just simply, you were caught up in the moment. There have been some people that go to an event and something great happens, they hear everybody cheer and they say, what just happened? Right? So sometimes the emotional frenzy of the moment can capture us emotionally. We've all been there. We've all done that. And so here it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Now, I want to draw your attention to the word move. Because in the Greek, sometimes in our English language, we're limited because they bring one translation or one definition out. But when you go to the Koine Greek, which Scripture was written in in the New Testament, you'll find sometimes there are several words to define this one word. So the Greek defines moved also as they were shaken, trembling. Here's one I like, agitated. Agitated. Now, the moment you hear that word, that's not something that evokes a positive emotion. 
agitated. The Italians have a word they use when they have indigestion. Indigestion is called agita. Any Italians out there? Any Italians watching online? Agita. It means you're disrupted. It's, it's heartburn. You know, your, your digestive system has been disrupted. Now, when you apply that definition to this portion of Scripture in its context, it's telling us that the praise of the people agitated the spiritual atmosphere of the entire city. Do you know if our eyes could be opened right now to the spirit realm, there is the atmosphere above us, the air we breathe, which Scripture also calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. If our eyes were opened at this moment, we would see not only angelic hosts here glorifying God with us and attentive to the Word of God, but we would also see the enemy trying to disrupt. And so when Jesus entered that city, he did enter to do battle, but not against earthly kings and soldiers. He came to do battle against Satan and the kingdom of darkness and bring to an eternal end once and for all what God the Father originally planned and had established that will be for the ages of eternity yet to come. Hallelujah. Satan didn't take that sitting down. Aren't you glad that didn't deter Jesus? Didn't deter him at all. He knew what the plan was. He knew what his orders were from his heavenly Father. And nothing was going to stop him. No person, not even the entire kingdom of hell combined together. Hallelujah. We serve a mighty God. That tells us what? If praise can stir the presence of God, and also praise can stir the atmosphere of the demonic, it tells us that praise is powerful. It's life-changing. That's why Praise isn't just a moment or an event. It's a lifestyle. You know what praise really is? Just give it a totally non-spiritual definition, which can apply to secular things as well as uh, biblical spiritual things. Praise is positive affirmation. That's all it is. But when combined with the Holy Spirit, grounded in the Word of God, and and geared towards Almighty God, it's an explosion waiting for a place to happen. Positive affirmation. When you praise God for his faithfulness, when some of you who maybe are going through a physical struggle, maybe a health issue, when you praise God for your healing in advance, that's positive affirmation to the word of God that says by his stripes we're healed. And when you give that positive affirmation, it says in Jeremiah 1.12, God, he listens, he hastens over his word to perform it. So when you give positive affirmation to the promise of God, hallelujah, before the answer even comes, you release all of the resources of God's throne to work and move on your behalf. When you begin to positively affirm the salvation of that wayward brother or sister, that mother, that father, that husband, that wife, whatever it may be, when you by faith begin to positively affirm and thank God, Lord, I know they haven't walked the aisle yet, they haven't prayed the prayer yet, but Lord, I see it by faith. I see it coming in Jesus' name. And I thank you. I praise you. That stirs the heavens and activates the power of God. But when it's misdirected, it can activate the kingdom of darkness. And that's what happened. 
to everyone who had their expectations unmet. It's amazing how within hours, their praise turned to persecution. You know, love and hate's a very fine line, right? And, and the same thing is with, between praise and persecution. Very fine line. That's why we have to constantly empty ourselves. I tell you, you, you can't be a pastor and, and, and live by expecting things from those around you. You have to live by expecting God to be your need meter, your miracle maker. Hallelujah. He's good. He never changes. And so when you look at the persecution, what was it that provoked this kind of inconsistency in the people? What was it that all of a sudden, within a moment, the praise turned to persecution? You know, I've found many people, they give up on God for many reasons. Some give up on God when it no longer benefits their needs or provides for their wants. It's astounding how we can make Christianity self-serving rather than Christ-serving. God has promised, I'll meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And I made that in the first person of Jesus. But Paul is the one who established that in his epistles. So God is there to meet our needs. He's there to bring comfort. He's there to bring strength, there to bring joy. But Jesus didn't come to serve us, right? He came to serve the Father. And when we commit our lives to the Lord, we're not, we're not here to have Jesus serve us. We're here to continue that extension, now we, the body of Christ, where we begin to do what Jesus did. You know, encourage others. Pray for others. Be a need meter, right? Be a miracle maker. All the power that God had resides within us as believers. I, I'm astounded in a good way, in a good way. How many times when I've simply done what God said to do and he shows up and miracles happen? Like that story I told you about my voice when I was doing the crusade in, in, in uh, Argentina. And, 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 and then when God showed up, right when I got to the edge, there's the water. And I knew it would sound as a mockery. But God was faithful. I said, Lord, I'm not going not to let this stop me. I trust you. I'm stepping out for you. He's faithful. God wants us to do that for him. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. In fact, he endured being forsaken by all, even his father, so that we would never be forsaken. Think of the hardest time in your life right now to date. He was with you. Even if you didn't understand it, didn't recognize it, and didn't even possibly acknowledge it, he was with you. Why? Because his word says, everybody say his word says. Not our emotions. His word says, say it again, his word says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I choose to take God at his word. Hallelujah. So some, they no longer serve the Lord. They give up on him because it doesn't benefit their needs any longer, provide for their wants. Then there's others that give up on God when it no longer agrees with their priorities. It's amazing how we want God to work around our priorities. But then when we have a need, we want God to be there for us. See, our lives should be centered and centrist upon our lives revolve around him, his kingdom. Now, I, I get it. We all have responsibilities. God gets it. But he says, if you keep me first, 
I'll take care of everything else. He's faithful. He honestly honors his word. He does. He does. That's how he created, isn't it? Let there be light, and there was light. I think a lot of us need to be, not the Beatles, but the Word of God, saying, let it be, right? Let there be light. Let there be breakthrough. Let there be deliverance. Let there be provision. Let there be restoration of estranged families. Let there be truth prevailing over lies and misrepresentation. You see, God wants to move on our behalf. But when people then give up on God because it no longer agrees with their priorities or even accommodates their lifestyles. It's astounding how people are abandoning Christianity because now they have adopted lifestyles that are unbiblical and, and unchristian and ungodlike. And so they're wanting to rewrite scripture to accommodate their sinful living because they feel like this is just the way I was made. This is who I am. Listen to me. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I've got to tell you, when I came to Christ, I literally mean this. There were demons in my life. But when I repented and gave my heart to the Lord, he set me free. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. And he has been so faithful to me. There is no other truth. There is no other way. He works. He works. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't ask God to accommodate your lifestyle. Change our lifestyles to accommodate his. Holiness, righteousness. I tell you, I can't take care of the things I hold most precious and dear in my life. I can't, I can't take care of that. I'm not 24-7 as far as active in every place. Last time I looked, I'm not omnipresent. I'm not an omni-guy, but we serve an omni-God. Right? He can do what we can't do. Someone's heart needs to change. He can speak to them while they're asleep. Stop trying to do what God can only do. Trust. He will prevail. Hallelujah. Some people give up on God when it no longer supports their beliefs or promotes their agenda. Ah. Can we take a rain check, Jesus? Got a lot going on. Have you seen my calendar? I have this business trip. I have these activities with the sports. I've got this vacation planned. You know, that's all good. And I pray all of us, including myself, prosper in everything we set our hands to do as long as it's righteous and holy. But we can't compromise our stance and priority with God in order to accommodate what we desire. Ask God for wisdom. He will. He'll give you wisdom. He'll show you how to do it. There may be some things he says, maybe you need to let go of this, Craig. Maybe you've taken on a little too much. You don't have to do it all. You know, ask God. He'll show you. But always build your priorities around him. But when people say, God doesn't work with my, my calendar, that's when they begin to abandon. Maybe not renounce the Lord, but abandon their passion for the Lord. And when you look at the religious leaders, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, when you look at those who were in religious leadership at that time, they held this same opinion. Well, how is that, Pastor Craig? Look at John chapter 11, verse 48. Here are the religious leaders gathered together before the crucifixion of Jesus. This is when they began to set in motion a plan to kill him, to kill the Christ. And so they're gathered together, and, and they knew he was from God. Because they knew the miracles and the things he did, and even the wisdom he exuded was beyond natural means. 
So here they are devising a plan rather than saying, God, what are we missing? Their self-serving kingdoms and agendas dictated this next verse. And listen to what they said. If we let him alone like this, in other words, he didn't come under their thumb. He didn't play the game the same way they did. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come, and here's the motivating factor, and take away both our place, the temple, and our nation. They were more committed to a temple, a city, and a nation than they were the God of the temple, the city, and the nation. They felt they would lose all of the privileges they had because of their position. All of the pomp, all of the circumstance. Their religious appearance meant more to them than the presence of God. You see, they were focused on what they would lose rather than on what they can gain. And honestly, that's the way we need to be. Spiritual vision. Focus on what you have to gain when it comes to obeying the Lord rather than on what you have to lose. It was about their kingdom rather than God's. And this is what transformed their praise into persecution. Look at John chapter 19, verse 16. Then they cried out, the same ones when he entered Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Now their praise went to persecution and from persecution to then they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. What kingdom were they focused on? How could they be so spiritually fickle? One moment, all hail King Jesus. And the the next, kill him. Crucify him. And I ask the same question for all of us. What kingdom are you focused on? Yours or God's? In conclusion, it's easy to praise the Lord. It really is. I mean, we can come in, we can lift up our hands, right? We can shout hallelujah. We can say amen in a good spot in the message. Haven't heard many of those today. Somebody say amen. 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 Now I feel better. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Singing the worship songs. It's easy just to participate, clap. If you have a voice, you can sing. Even add your own harmonies. I love to do that. If you don't have a, vo- a, 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 a singing voice, you just make a joyful noise. But everybody can just participate and be a part of it, right? All that that comes down to is we're waving our palm branches. Just like the people did when Jesus entered Jerusalem. But I find it interesting that after he entered the city, the praise stopped. After that moment, There's no more praise. There was no transformed lives. It became a positive affirmation, an emotional moment. But there was no containment. There was no continuance of what God desired to do. And they were so easily swayed, just as the crowd said, praise him, Hosanna. When the crowd shouted, crucify him, they went with the crowd. I can't answer for you, but I can answer for me. I never want to go with the crowd 
unless the crowd is going with Jesus. Amen. Amen. The people changed their song so quickly, going from crown him with many crowns to crucify him. And all because his kingdom didn't measure up to their expectations. So those of you gathered here, those of you worshiping online, are you angry? Maybe because God didn't measure up to your expectations with a certain prayer, certain provision. We should never go from crown him to crucify him. We should be like Paul, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain, because we love him. You'll find without God's kingdom, there are no other kingdoms. Man left to himself destroys everything. Look at the current condition of our world. Evil just continues to increase. Why? Because the more we leave God out, it leaves a vacant spot in that area. And Satan will come and replace where God once dwelt with his own spirit, his own agenda, and his own evil. We want no empty spaces in our lives. Amen? Because the moment we remove God from any part of our life, we're vulnerable. Paul said in Ephesians, he says, don't give place to the devil. That means, Holy Spirit, fill me every part of my being. Lord God, may every agenda, every attitude, Lord, may every part of my life, my being, be after your kingdom. And you know, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, because it's very easy to get distracted, especially when you see the stock market, you see inflation, and, 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 and then when we came out of the pandemic with all of the health issues, it's very easy to focus on the distractions. But even in the midst of the distractions, it's important that we maintain our focus on God's kingdom and keep them first. Why? Because Jesus promised. And if Jesus promises, you can take it to the bank. Amen? He said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, the Father, and his righteousness, then all these other things, they'll be added. If you keep Jesus first, his kingdom first, he'll prioritize your kingdom. And I guess what? He'll do a much, much better job of overseeing and orchestrating and providing for your kingdom than you, could I, you or I could ever do. Amen? His kingdom first. God always is faithful. Everybody say, he is faithful. Say it again, he is faithful. Today, I want to encourage you to welcome Jesus to welcome the, revi the arrival of his presence. When those of you who gave your life to Christ did that, you welcomed him into your life, his arrival into your life as Lord and Savior. But honestly, we need to greet him and praise him as a lifestyle on a daily basis. Welcome the arrival of Jesus into your home, into your workplace, into your priorities, into your family, into every aspect of your life. Welcome the arrival of Jesus. Make him the subject of your gratitude, the subject of your thanksgiving, the emphasis of your praise. Welcome the arrival of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he entered Jerusalem. We're celebrating that today. And today, we want to celebrate and give him entry into our lives. Not for a moment, 
but as a lifestyle for our lifetime, taking us and ushering us all the way in to eternity. Amen? Hallelujah. The arrival. Say, Jesus is here. Oh, where's the enthusiasm? Come on. Maybe you, maybe you feel like, is he here? Jesus is here? Maybe it was like a question. Maybe some of you are really in a tough spot. I get it. There are all kinds of seasons in life. Some of them I love. Some of them I, I dread. But through every season, he's faithful. He's with you. Amen? So let's say it again. Jesus is here. One more time with an eruption of praise. Jesus is here. Now give him glory. Come on. Let's all stand. Let's all stand, please. Hallelujah. He entered the city. Next came that solemn moment of Good Friday. What began on a Friday continued on a Saturday. But on the third day, the final chapter was written. I want to encourage you. Be here on Friday, 7 p.m. It's going to be a solemn service. But in order to appreciate the resurrection, you have to understand the cross. Did you hear me? There is no resurrection without death. And I'm asking just as I shared about his triumphal entry, as he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, I'm asking you to see that in your heart. Then see him in the garden praying with his disciples. And Good Friday, understand the betrayal. Walk with me as we take in that journey to the cross where he was crucified. And then go with me to the tomb on Sunday morning as we stand before it and see that stone rolled away. And then that which was not by the miracle power of the Father is again. Amen? Praise the Lord. How many of you want to welcome him into every aspect of your life right now. Pray this prayer with me and then the worship team is going to close us out, I know, with something very special. They are such a blessing, aren't they? <laughs> Lift your hands. Mean it with all your heart. I can't control the heart, but I can tell you what to say. Say, Heavenly Father, I love your Son, Jesus. I profess Him right now I welcome him right now with my praise, with open arms. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord to the glory of God the Father. From this day forward, I walk in your power. Your presence is with me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. One more eruption of praise. Come on. Bless your name, Father. Bless your name. Bless your name. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. 
If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.